Old Testament reading, uh, a little strange that it's from a psalm, uh, but it's Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and flute. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle readings from Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? Is it also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Uh, Can we talk about worship this morning? Um, worship is uh, super important, right? It's something that 
I mean, it's a word we all know and say as Christians. It's something that uh, God calls uh, all of us to do on a regular basis, both as a corporate body here on Sunday mornings and as uh, groups together, families, as well as friends outside of here. Uh, by the way, uh, the sign-up sheet for the community groups is downstairs. Please, if you're interested in being a part of that, uh, head downstairs after, bio, uh, after uh, worship, before Bible study, and sign up for that. Also, worship is important uh, for us as individuals. We each uh, privately should be worshiping God. But what is worship? What is worship? Let's talk about that this morning and then talk, uh, uh, talk about uh, a few ideas from the story of the woman at the well in Samaria about uh, how we can worship God uh, better, or worship God rightly. Uh, worship just means ascribing worth to somebody. The word uh, worship is uh, an old English uh, word, worth-ship, the quality of being worthy. To worship something is to say that something is worthy. To, 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 to take something that's worthy and say that that thing is worthy, or to treat it like it's worthy. All right. So you guys know how you guys know how this goes. You have um, somebody makes you uh, a nice dinner, and you say to them, "That was really really great food. Thank you." That's actually uh, worship. That's praising somebody for something that's worthy. Now, now we typically as Christians we don't use the word worship. We we save the word worship for like religious things, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. We don't always do that. There's uh, one of the titles of. Um, English aristocracy is, you know, your worship. And the person is not literally being worshipped like God. But they're, they're saying, you are worthy to be praised because you're a member of the aristocracy. However, if somebody makes you a fine meal, that too is worthy of praise. In other words, you worship that. Not you, again, totally fine if you don't use the word. This is why, this is why your kids like it when they do something well. You know, they uh, get a good grade or they uh, do something... Um, uh, well, with music or, you know, academically or with sports. And it gives you pleasure to tell them, hey, that was really good. I'm really proud of you for, for nailing that math test. And it gives them pleasure to hear it because they deserve to be praised for doing well. They deserve to be praised for uh, uh, accomplishments. Uh, and this, this is all across the board. And, and it actually, it bugs you when you don't make that connection. Because that's what you're doing. When you praise somebody, this is why thankfulness is important, right? Thankfulness is not just a matter of being nice and saying, you know, hey, thank you for the good food or thank you for, uh, you know, doing this for me. Um, It's actually connecting what somebody has done with the appropriate response. It is, is in, in the technical sense of the word, it's righteous. You are making something right. Somebody does something good, and you saying, hey, that was good, draws the connection between you and your person and the thing that they've done. That's why thankfulness is important is because thankfulness is what's right at the center of worship, acknowledging somebody for what they've done for you. And when you don't do it, it bugs you. Yesterday, yesterday Angela and I went to this event, and um, it was in Maryville, and there was uh, this guy that Angela and I like. He's actually uh, a Catholic monk who had a baking show on PBS about 15 to 20 years ago. And Angela and I, just for whatever reason, just loved this show. And uh, he was speaking and talking about baking in Maryville. And so we went there, and it was really good. 
And afterwards, I thought, we should go say something to him. We should say, we, we really, really enjoyed your show, and we bought all of your uh, baking cookbooks a long time ago, and we love, we love uh, the stuff that you've baked and that we bake. And when people come over to our house, those of you who've been to our house, I could probably say some of the things that we've made that he taught us to make that people love. And then, you know, I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to be like a fanboy, you know. I'd just walk up to some guy and say, hey, I, you don't know me, but I really, really like you. I've never, I, I've never asked anybody for their autograph athlete or anything. I always feel weird about that. But then as we walked out, I thought, you know what? I wish that I had. I wish that I had made that connection. And, and I wasn't even really thinking about the sermon that I had been working on. But this is what it is, is that somebody does something that's worthy of praise and you naturally, hopefully, long to, to make a connection with that and say, and you know, if people who don't, there's something wrong with them. You know, you know, parents who don't praise their children for doing well, people who don't praise their spouses or their friends for things, there's something self-centered about that. There's something unrighteous. There's something turned in. There's something non-worshipful about that. So what we're called to do is to make that righteous connection and say, that's good. I like that you did that. That's really good, or thank you for doing that, or I really appreciate that, or that's really beautiful. Something along that. This is what we're talking about when we talk about worship. Let me give you an example from the book of Psalms. It's from Psalm 145. It starts off with worship, and then it, de- then it defines worship. David says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. So what is worship? It's saying... Now we're moving into religious territory here. It's saying to the Lord, you alone are worthy of praise, infinite praise. Now, like I just said, you're going to praise your kids for doing well. I should have praised this guy yesterday for the things he's done for me and my family, even though he doesn't know me. There are things that we don't praise each other for, though, because you and I are broken. I don't praise my kids for disrespecting their mother. I don't praise, you gotta, you gotta be careful too, right, with art. You have to be careful what it is that you turn your praise to. There are some movies that are worthy of praise, and I'm not gonna tell you, like, there are certain movies you shouldn't go watch. You can go watch whatever you want, as long as you are checking yourself. There are some things that aren't worthy of praise. So there's a popular genre of action flick, right? Uh, the revenge movie where something bad happens to somebody and they just destroy everybody. And you know what it's like. You'll watch a movie like that. You'll watch a, you know, a Clint Eastwood movie and you will find yourself rooting for that guy to blow everybody up. This is actually incredibly unbiblical. It's incredibly non-Christ-like. But you find yourself liking it. That's a great movie. Watch yourself that you don't do that. And I'm not, this, I don't want to turn this into a fundamentalist thing like don't watch. I'm not saying don't watch Clint Eastwood movies. Totally watch them. And there's a certain level on which you can enjoy them. But check yourself to say, that's not worthy of praise. This is what we do, though. We've got to be careful that we're praising the right things and not praising the wrong things. But with God, you can praise him for everything because he is worthy of infinite praise. In fact, he's the only thing that's worthy of infinite praise. I can't tell you. I can't stand in front of you and say, hey, everybody, it's time for you to make much of Aaron. Like, bow down and magnify my name together because I am worthy of praise. Because the fact is, is I'm not. I'm actually a big screw-up. I mess. I consistently mess up my life. However, God, on the other hand, has no right to say, you know, hey, really, you know, shucks, guys. I mean, I like it you're paying attention to me, but 
uh, you, know, uh, you, you know, gee, you know, take it easy. God, God should not do that because God is worthy of infinite praise. And so God stands in front of us, both on Sunday mornings and in your individual private devotional life, and also the life that you share with your friends in Christ and says to you, give me praise. Make much of me because I am always consistently perfect. Okay, that's what worship is. That's the first part of the sermon. Just to define worship and say worship is saying, God, you are worthy of praise. Now, we do this with our actions. I'm not focusing so much on actions this morning as I am with our lips. We do this as we, you know, when we sing hymns that we just sang. We're praising God for being who he is. God wants us to do that. It's worship. Now, let's talk about from um, the gospel reading uh, some things we can draw from this about what good worship is. So this is the uh, story of the woman at the well. Jesus goes there and he asks for something to drink. And... Um, uh, the woman says, you have no business asking me for something to drink because I'm a Jew, I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew and we don't usually talk. And Jesus says, if you knew who was talking to you, you would have asked me and I could have given you living water. And that word living water uh, is actually, living water is, so most languages have an idiom, have a, a slang term for water that moves. Like, so you have like water that sits in a pool, stagnant water, standing water, we say. Standing is an idiom, right? It's not, the water's not really standing. It's actually just in the pool. But we use the word running water for water that runs like in a creek or a river or water that runs in your tap. That's running water. It's not really running. It's actually just moving. Well, in, in um, Aramaic and in Hebrew, there was also an idiom for water that moves. And the, the idiom was living water. It wasn't a religious term. It was just... Living water was extremely rare. You didn't get living water in the ancient world, especially in an arid climate like the east, unless it had just rained during the rainy season and there was water running through the wadis. Other than that, the water that you had was water that you collected in cisterns and so or wells, which is not as tasty and maybe not as healthy as living water. Jesus says to her, "Like I can give you running water. I can give you water that tastes better and is actually better for you if you would just ask me. And so she says... Basically, give this to me. Jesus says, if I give you this water, you, you'll never, ever be thirsty again. And she says, maybe even a little bit like, okay, whatever. Okay, give me this water because I don't want to ever come back here and have to draw water again. And Jesus says that bit about go tell your, go, go get your husband. She said, I have a husband. He says, I know you've had five husbands and you're living with the guy that's not your husband. And then she says, oh, I get it. You're a prophet. It's a prophet. Let me ask you a religious question then. This is what people do. Like if I talk, if people say to me, what do you do? And um, there's two types of responses I get when I say I'm a pastor. One is, like, it's just a total conversation killer. Like, they're like, oh. And then they don't look, you know, you don't make eye contact. The other is, oh, you're a pastor? Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you uh, a religious question. My priest says that priests aren't allowed to get married. What do you think? Just stuff like, it'll be just like some sort of like weird theological question. And that's the move that this woman makes. Oh, let me ask you a theological question. Like, our 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 PhDs say that we should only worship in Samaria, and your PhDs say you should only worship in Jerusalem. And which one is it? And then Jesus says, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And yet, and here's Jesus' point, and this is where we're going we're to talk about verses 23 through 26. This will be the rest of the sermon. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Okay, so let's start off with this. Point number one about what makes true worship. Worship is God the Father-centered. 
God the Father center. Have you guys ever heard, have you guys ever heard the term seeker sensitive worship? Maybe like 20 years ago, this was like uh, a controversy in the church between traditional worship, like, you know, hymns and liturgy, and then seeker sensitive worship. Worship which used contemporary music and less liturgy because there are people who are seeking God who are going to come into your church and you kind of want to reach out to them and be relevant to them. And so seeker sensitive worship was a thing. And both of those, you know, the people over here on the traditional worship think that the seeker-sensitive people are bad and unholy. And the people on the seeker-sensitive side think that the traditional people are like closed-minded and idiots. And there's really not a whole lot of conversation between the two of them. Actually, they're both sort of asking the wrong question and getting to the wrong spot. Let me argue for just a second for a biblical view of seeker-sensitive worship. Are there people who are seeking God? I really don't know. I mean, just speaking for myself, I hardly ever am. I hardly ever am like, God, I really want to know you. And whenever I am, it's because something has happened to me to push me in that direction, to bring me to a spot where I can't help but say, God, I really want to know you. I'm not naturally like looking after God. Thankfully, though, there is somebody who's seeking. And in this text, it's the Father. We do, I hope we do believe in seeker-sensitive worship. It's being sensitive to the one who's actually doing the seeking, and that's the Father. The time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship for the Father in spirit and truth, because those kind of worshipers are the worship worshipers that the Father seeks. But the reason why you are sitting here today, this is some of you are believers in Jesus Christ, and some of you are not believers in Jesus Christ. For those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, the reason why you are is because the Father sought you out to find you, and pull you to himself. For those of you who aren't believers in Jesus Christ, there's a reason why you're sitting in this room this morning. And the reason why is, I mean, there are surface reasons too. Somebody said, hey, let's go to church, or somebody, or, or you're like, I don't know, I should go to church, or something like that. But there's actually a reason behind that, and that is, is that God the Father right now is seeking you individually. He is chasing you down. I don't know if you feel it or not. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but it doesn't matter if you feel it or not. The hound of heaven is right behind you and nipping at your heels. Because he loves you, not because he wants to destroy you. Because he wants to rescue you. You're running straight back into that house that's on fire, and he's running right behind you, trying to wrap you up in his arms and pull you away. You just stop for a second and turn around and look at him. The reason why you're here this morning is not because you somehow figured it out. And not because, well... Every morning, for some reason, I get up and I put on these clothes and I show up at this building and I walk in and we do church stuff. I know that's true. I know we all get into that rut. But behind that rut is God the Father seeking you. Be attentive to that. Here's the second thing. The worship, true worship, is also spirit-centered. You guys all caught that line. God is a spirit and his worshipers, in verse 24, his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. What does this mean to worship God in spirit? Does it mean there's, there's basically two choices we have here? To worship God in spirit could either be like your spirit, to worship him deep down inside you, or it could be a reference to the Holy Spirit, to worship him in the, in the Holy Spirit. But actually, I really don't think that there's, for, for Christians, there's no distinguishing between those two. Romans 8 says that it's the spirit of God who bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So to worship God with the Holy Spirit means to worship him really in your spirit. This is what Jesus is saying is, she's, she's asking questions about like, 
where's the right physical place for me to go worship? Like, do I go to Samaria or should I go to Jerusalem? And Jesus says, there's coming a time when it doesn't matter what place you're in because true worship happens in spirit. You guys should be worshiping inside. The, the, the reformers, in fact, if you read the book of Concord, there's lots of stuff in there, uh, you know, against worshiping. Here's a Latin phrase for you. Ex opera operata, which is the Latin phrase for from the work, worked. The notion that like just physically showing up at Samaria or Jerusalem is good enough and you're good to go. The notion that just showing up at church is good and like you get your bonus points with God for the week. Or you'll hear this from some of us, like, oh, I've been baptized, I'm fine. That's the notion that just because water's been poured on your head that you're okay. Or just because you received communion, you're okay to go. And it doesn't really matter what you think or you feel. But here's Jesus, through God the Father sending Jesus, in order to pull all of you into him. God wants you, all of you, to be worshiping him. Not just your bodies. It's really, really good. You have to worship him with your bodies. It's good that you guys have all showed up to church this morning. It's good to take communion. It's good to do the right thing, but to actually love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind is the goal of Christianity. Now, some of us in Lutheranism, I, this is all this is our tendency to do this, and so this is I, I'm not sure what to make of this. Our tendency is is this way. Other traditions have a tendency that, that is maybe that is equally wrong, or maybe even more wrong this way. But our tendency in Lutheranism is to say it doesn't really matter what you think or feel. Less think and more feel. Like, it doesn't matter what you feel. What matters is, you need to go to church, you need to take the sacrament. There's an element, just like all things that are false, there's an element of truth in this, that you do need to come to worship, that you do need to be constantly, consistently receiving the sacrament. But God does care about what you think about Him. God does care about your emotions. Your feelings, your desires, your thoughts, these are not second-class citizens. God wants all of you. It is not to your religious credit that you come in and sing hymns and hate them. That's not to your credit. It's not to your credit that you show up to church and you're like, I really don't like this, but it doesn't matter because I'm doing the right thing. No, God wants you to love him with all of your heart, soul, and mind. He wants your heart to leap out of your chest when you get a chance to praise him and say he's worthy. You get this, right? Like if you say to one of your kids, like, so, so one of my kids does something well. I say to my other kids, hey, make sure that you tell so-and-so they did a good job at the game today. And they go up there and they say, hey, good job at the game today. But that's not actually praising them. We all get that, right? Like showing up at church and like just mouthing the words to the hymn or like not even singing, that's actually not praise. That's not worship. The time has come when we don't worship in Samaria or in Jerusalem. We worship in spirit and in truth. Worship is Holy Spirit-centered. Now, this is another reason why... This is a little, little, bit, a little bit different angle here, okay? This is another reason why there's a certain way to worship. It's actually a, a, a very different angle, but, but again, focused on Spirit-centered worship. Like, one of the ways that we can worship is just in ways that we're completely comfortable with. We, we want to sing hymns that are our hymns. We want to worship at our Samaria. That's where we want to be, right? And so we sing hymns just by guys, white guys who died in the 16th century. And that's what we sing. And if you sing hymns that aren't by white guys who died in the 16th century, you're not really worshiping. But actually, 
Christian worship is to be universal. When you see, that, so we read in Revelation 7, right? On the last day, there will be more people than just white Germans who died in the 16th century around the throne of God praising his name. There will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation and people from all times and places. And one of the things that we have to do with Christian worship is connect with both of those things. One of our burden, is, so now, now this is the part where I get specific about worship in St. James Lutheran Church. One of our burdens is to be distinctly Lutheran. There are parts of our worship service that are and must be Lutheran. Communion, Holy Communion, is one place where we are going to be extremely Lutheran. Our theology of the sacrament, which is unique to the Lutheran church, not that other people don't come close, there's a, there's a spectrum right there, but our theology of the sacrament is distinctly Lutheran. At the sacrament, we're not going to say, hey, it doesn't matter what you think about the communion. It doesn't matter what you think about communion. If you're Baptist or if you're Catholic or if you're Mormon, it doesn't matter. This is for everybody. No, we're going to try to be distinctly Lutheran. When we say the creeds, though, we are being non, we are being bigger than Lutheran. We are joining with every Christian this morning, Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, non-denominational, who says the Apostles' Creed, and even those who don't say the Apostles' Creed but believe what the Apostles' Creed teaches. We're joining with them to say that we are gathering around the throne together. I think that our music has to do both of these things, right? There are lots of really, really solid, solid, distinctly Lutheran hymns in our Lutheran service book that we're going to sing. But there are also hymns outside of the service book that are from different times and different places and different ethnicities, by, by the way, that we're going to sing. By the way, it should trouble us that every single one of us in this room is Caucasian. It should trouble you. I, I'm not exactly sure that I have the answers to fix that, these problems are deep-seated. But if around the throne of God, on the last day, Revelation chapter 7, every single Christian from every single ethnicity is there, the fact that we, as Christian churches in North America, just love to divide up on ethnic lines is somehow offensive to the gospel. Offensive to the gospel. We're going to have to figure out, out a way. And this is, I shouldn't even brought it up because I don't have any solutions, and it's not the point of the sermon. I'm just saying that the goal, the goal of all languages and all ethnicities and all cultures being in this room together, worshiping God together, and us worshiping with music that we're not comfortable with. We should probably every once in a while sing hymns in Spanish. Because the Church of Jesus Christ doesn't just speak, you know, Jesus doesn't speak English, right? We're not going to speak English in glory. We don't know what language we're going to speak. But it won't be your specific language in your specific culture. Worship has to be Holy Spirit-driven, Holy Spirit-centered. And what that means is it's bigger than just your body. And it's bigger than just our body. And our worship has to reflect that. Okay, and the last thing, of course, is that it has to be Jesus-centered. So Jesus says, the, the, the true worshipers are the ones who worship Jesus in truth. And she says, okay, in truth, how do you worship in truth? Let's you and I just agree to disagree right now. Because there's this guy, you know, the Messiah is going to show up at some point, and he'll tell us what truth is. And Jesus says, I who speaks to you am he. I am the one who's going to give you truth. This is what Jesus-centered worship is about. Jesus-centered worship is connecting with God the Father in the only true way that you can. You cannot connect with God the Father in your own designed, devised way. You can't show up and be like, oh, God loves everybody, so I'm just going to do what I'm... Jesus insists, later on he's going to insist, almost similar language. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and nobody comes to God except they come through Jesus. 
really, really exclusive, really, really offensive language. And it offends me too in some ways. But the fact is, is that there it is. You can only truly worship God through Jesus. As beautiful as non-Christian worship might be, as touching and emotional as it might be, as helpful as it might be to people's lives, it's actually not really worshiping God unless it goes through Jesus. Most of you know that. Not all of you believe that, but most of you know that. But here's the point I want to make about this this morning, is that that should be our focus when we come into worship. Everything in here should be about Jesus. Everything in here should not be about, like, how can your life be better? Or, I'm supposed to show up at church, let me tick that off the box. But connect me, God, connect me to Jesus. And when we say the Apostles' Creed, when we say amen, either out loud or in, the, in our hearts at the end of the sermon, when during the hymns we sing out loud with all the emotion we can muster, when we sing hymns of praise to Jesus for what God has done through Jesus, then we are actually worshiping in spirit and in truth. Amen.